You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Good morning, family. Thank you once again for joining us this morning as we get into the sermon for today. We're continuing in our sermon series entitled Stayed on Him, where we're focusing on the character of God as we walk our way through different parts of the narrative in the book of Exodus. In week two of our series, we looked at chapter three, where Moses asked God who he was, and God responded by saying, I am who I am. Instead of giving Moses pictures or descriptions of exactly who he is, he chose not to, not to do that at that point. But as we've seen, as we work through this narrative in the book of Exodus, God does continue to reveal who he is by the way he is interacting with God's people, by the way he continues to bless his people. A couple weeks ago, we saw that he was our Savior when we saw him as the Passover lamb. Last week, we saw that he is our protector. Today, we see that our God is our provider. He is our provider. Our aim as we work through this series is to grow as those that keep our eyes stayed on him. And today and this week, by extension, my prayer is that we will grow as those who keep our eyes on the fact that he is our good provider and that we will find perfect peace in him as we trust him to be our provider. We're going to be working our way through the book of Exodus chapter 16 today. It's a fairly long chapter. We'll work our way through bit by bit. And I have three specific observations that I'll focus on and emphasize as we work our way through this chapter today. In this chapter, God is revealing to his people that he is, in fact, their provider and that his provision was enough for them. And they have difficulty accepting that. They have difficulty believing that and placing their trust in him, and I believe we'll identify with that as well. Let's go ahead and get started. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. So this is after God has, of course, parted the Red Sea and freed them from, from Pharaoh's army from Egypt. They've celebrated the victory that God has given them, and now they're continuing on their way to Mount Sinai. They haven't gotten there yet, and they're currently in a place that the Bible calls the wilderness. A wilderness is an uninhabited and often uncultivated land. It's generally a place that's not fit for people to live in. So this is a problem that God's people are experiencing right now as they're sitting here in this wilderness. So they came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." All right, if you've been with us, especially last week, this isn't new. This grumbling that the people of God continue to do. They're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Why did you bring us out here? Things were better back in Egypt. Things were better before God got involved and started changing things for us. 
It says that they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. When I talk about grumbling today, I'm specifically referring to complaining that is rooted in a lack of contentment in one's life. When one, due to discontentment with their own life, they, they complain. This is referred to as grumbling. So the people of God are in this wilderness where it's an uninhabitable land. They're not going to be able to grow crops and that type of thing. So they're thinking they're going, going to go hungry and starve. And so they grumble about it. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God is saying he's going to provide for them every day. He says he's going to make, brain, make bread, excuse me, rain from heaven for them, and it's going to be enough for them each day. Continue on, verse 5. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Notice that. That's an intentional switch in language as far as what Moses and Aaron are saying in comparison to what the people of God had previously said. A few verses ago, they said that they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Now Moses and Aaron are saying that they're grumbling against the Lord. And that's not the last time they make that statement. Let's keep reading verse 8. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Moses and Aaron correct them. That leads to our first observation for the day. Their grumbling was actually against God. The people of God's grumbling was actually against God. When the people of God complain and grumble with their circumstances, they're ultimately complaining about God's provision because we know that he provides everything that we have. He is always in control. He is the one who is sovereign. So the belief that our current life situation isn't what it should be is always us making an indictment against God as not being a good enough provider for us. It's an indictment against God's goodness and his Provision And notice what Moses and Aaron say twice in those two verses. They ask the question, what are we? In essence, they're like, we aren't God. We aren't in control of this. We aren't your provider. Why are you complaining and grumbling against us? Your problem isn't actually with us. Your problem is with God. We are just his messenger. I want to try to help some of us with this one. Some of you, you're at a job that you don't like. You complain about it because you're discontent with it. You're discontent with that aspect, that area of your life. And the truth of the matter is you're grumbling. Your, your discontentment is actually towards God. You're actually grumbling towards God, not, not merely over your job, not merely over your supervisor or your boss or your coworkers or whoever it is. You're actually grumbling against God because who is your boss? Who are your coworkers? They don't control your life. They aren't the primary reason that you're in the situation that you're in. If you have a problem with your life, if you're discontent, you're ultimately grumbling 
against God. You don't believe that he's a good provider. You don't believe that he got it right. You believe that you actually have better understanding of the way that your life should go than God does. You believe that you should be the one directing your life and you are saying via your grumbling that God got it wrong and he is not a good provider. His provision is not enough. Our grumbling screams these indictments against God and his character as our provider. So in this story, after God hears all of their grumbling and promises to provide them with food in this miraculous way, specifically he was going to provide meat for them in the evening and bread for them in the morning, and they were just going to walk outside in the middle of the wilderness, this uninhabited, uncultivated land, and just find food for themselves, for their whole nation on the ground. Now let's pick up in the story in verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Here's the crazy thing. God, in his sovereignty, powerfully provided for them. Every meal they ate in that wilderness was a result of the love and provision of God. He made sure that everybody had enough, and yet that wasn't enough for them. That wasn't good enough for them. They, they had no lack. Everyone had their needs met, but yet some gathered more than they needed for the day and left it over for the night until the morning, and they had this stench, and they had these worms in the house because they weren't satisfied with God's provision for them. And then in the next few verses, God tells them that he doesn't want them to work on the Sabbath so that they can gather extra, so they can gather extra on the sixth day of the week so that it will, be, it will be fine for it to stay over until the seventh day of the week so they wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath. But here's what some of them did on the Sabbath. Let's jump down to verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. So first, God tells them only get enough for today, and then some of them gather more than they need for that day and try to keep it until the next day, likely because they don't truly and fully trust that God's going to keep providing, so they feel a need to hold a little bit over, even though that's what God told them not to do because they didn't trust God's provision. And then you have some, even though God told them on the sixth day to gather extras, and it will last over until the seventh day so they don't have to work on the Sabbath, and some still go out on the Sabbath to try to pick and grab food for them and for their families. They didn't trust God, and that leads to our second point for today. They missed the divine lesson. They missed the divine lesson. They didn't trust God. God was teaching them something in all of this. I want you to think about it. Think about how God set this whole system up for how he was going to provide for them. 
At a certain time of day in the morning, he was going to give them bread. At a certain time of day in the evening, he was going to give them meat. Now, they had to go out at a certain time in the morning because when the heat came out, the bread was going to dry up and it was going to go away. But all they had to do was gather enough for today. They could just gather enough. They didn't need to gather more than they needed. He was saying, I am enough. I'm going to provide enough for you. He was teaching them that they can trust him to be their provider, that they could depend on him, that they could rely on him. He's teaching them that he will provide for them exactly what they need. He wants this to not, and he wants this to not just be a lesson for them, but to also be a lesson for the generations after them. Let's look at verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Verse 32. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. This was to be a lesson not just for the people of God at that time, but for the generations after them about God's provision. He's using this moment to teach them, hey, you can trust me. Hey, I got you. I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll make sure that you have enough. He's orchestrating this whole situation not just to provide for them, but to help them see that he is their provider, to teach them to rely on him every single day, moment by moment, to be the one that provides for them. He could have done it differently. He could have made sure on the first day of the week they could gather enough for all seven days. That's not what he did. He wanted them to have enough for today and trust that today, and then on tomorrow, trust that he's going to provide with me, provide me with, excuse me, enough for today. He's teaching them, he's teaching us that he is a good provider. And here's one of the things about them being in the wilderness and providing for them that way. He wasn't giving them an abundance at a time. Not only was he not giving them an abundance at one time, he was not giving them as much as they wanted. He was giving them what they needed. He was giving them enough, but he was not giving them as much as they wanted at a time. If, if he were, then they wouldn't have con continued to try to hold on to it until the next day or maybe try to go out on Sunday and gather a little bit more. They didn't like the amount that he was giving them, but he was doing it intentionally because he was teaching them a lesson. I believe sometimes it's easier for us to learn when we aren't getting everything that we desire. Sometimes in the wilderness, in the uninhabitable land, in the land where you're not getting everything that you want, and understand this, the, the, the land that they were promised, that they were moving towards, was promised to be a prosperous land for them, a land of abundance for them, where they could grow crops and have more than they need. But right now, while he's teaching them to trust him, he has them in this place where they're only getting enough for the day. You know, what getting, you know what getting the thing that you always wanted can do to you, right? It can make you stop depending on and relying on God. It can cause you to seek God less because you got what you wanted. So he has them in this difficult place where their only security, their only hope for survival for the rest of the week is if God comes through and provides again. Their only hope was if God would show up and provide for them the same way tomorrow as he did today. A very difficult, some would call stressful place for them to be in. But in those places, 
oftentimes it's when we seek God the most. It can cause us to seek God more than if we already had everything that we desired, then maybe we would seek God less. Maybe we would feel, we would sense less our dependence on God. We wouldn't sense our dependence on him as we should. When they're in the wilderness, God's just giving them enough for the day. They're learning to rely on him. God is teaching them again that he is their security. God wasn't giving them enough for them to have an abundance. He wasn't giving them enough to have extra. He wasn't giving them enough to save. He wasn't giving them everything that they wanted. And God could have just as easily done that, but he chose not to. And honestly, that's where some of us are right now. There's something you've been wanting God to give you, but he just hasn't done it. And because you know who God is and because you've read his scriptures, you know good and well that if he wanted to give it to you, he could, but he's choosing not to. And for some of us, that has led to grumbling. For some of us, that has led to questioning the goodness of God. Maybe it's what we're wanting from God financially. Maybe it's what we're wanting from God from a success standpoint, maybe educationally or maybe in our career or maybe it's some type of a relationship that we've been desiring and God hasn't been giving it to us even though he, we desire for him to do so and even though we know that he could if he wanted to and he hasn't been doing it. And that's where many of us are. But for some of us, it hasn't just led to grumbling, but it's made you bitter and resentful towards your God. God hasn't given you enough to make you comfortable, but he's given you enough to make you dependent on him. He's provided your essential needs. Don't get me wrong, but just like God's people in the Exodus, you're still wanting more. He wasn't giving them what they wanted because he wanted them and the generations after them to learn that they could trust him to be enough for them. God cared more about them growing in assurance and in their faith that he cared about them, then he cared about them growing in abundance and getting all the things that they wanted from him. The problem for us, and likely the problem for the Israelites at that time as well, is that we often like comfort more than we like growing in our reliance on God. We often like convenience more than we like growing in dependence on him. We like instant gratification more than we like sanctification over the long haul. And our God is trying to teach us to know and appreciate him more as a provider. And sometimes to do that, he needs to provide us with a little bit less than we actually want. He needs to keep us from being in a place that's comfortable because oftentimes when we get in a comfortable place, and I know I'm guilty of this, we don't seek God in the same way. We don't pray to him. We don't cry out to him. We don't plead with him in the same way when we're in a comfortable place. He wants to cultivate a deeply rooted trust for all of us in him. And sometimes the way that he does that is by not giving us the things that we want. To make this point, let's look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9. This is one of those verses I'm going to go ahead and let y'all know. A lot of y'all are not going to like these verses. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. The author writes, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, obviously, it's not a sin to be rich, 
but we still have to acknowledge that we see in this verse that there are benefits to not having more than we need. There are benefits to not having an abundance because it can cause us to forget the Lord, forget our need for him. There's a spiritual danger in having excess. The author here asked, God, give me what I need to remain faithful to you. What if that was our cry? What if that was our desire? God, give me, God, in, in your wisdom, in your knowledge, in your understanding, in your sovereignty, give me the amount that will lead to the most faithfulness in my life, the most belief in you, the most trust in you. God, that's the amount that I want in my life. Father, if having more will cause me to trust you less, then don't give it to me. If having this thing that I've been desiring so much would prevent me from following you with the same fervor and urgency and prevent me from seeking you in the way that you desire me to do so, then don't give it to me. What if we could pray those prayers? What if we so desire to know God, so desire to seek him and follow him that we say, God, whatever you got to take away from me to help me grow in doing that, just take it away. Or just don't give it to me in the first place. I know some of you are like me, and in times when you feel like you don't have everything figured out, in times when you feel like it's difficult, we pray more in those times when we sense that dependence on God that we have. I, I tend to seek God more in those times, which means that God giving me less than I would want on this earth is actually oftentimes better for me spiritually than him giving me everything that I want. We're oftentimes better off when we live somewhere in between just having our needs met and having everything that I want. Oftentimes somewhere in between there is the place that's best for us spiritually. And that's why God, it's one of the reasons I believe that God has so many of us in that place right now. Experiencing the, the disappointment of not having everything that we want while still having our needs met. Now, some of us might say, well, God hasn't given me everything I want, and it's not making me seek him more. In fact, it's making me more frustrated and bitter towards him than anything. And that's where some of us are. My dear brother, my dear sister, if that is where you are, then God is doing you a great favor by his grace, by exposing that to you. By exposing to you that deep down you like provision more than you like the provider. By exposing to you that deep down you want the gift more than you want the giver. By exposing to you that deep down in your heart you want circumstantial comfort more than you want the comforter. You want control more than you want the one that is actually in control. And that is actually the root of your bitterness against God. Through his Holy Spirit, he is lovingly showing you that you actually care more about these things than you care about me that you actually see me as a means of getting something else. You don't see seeking me as an end in and of itself where you can find ultimate joy and perfect peace for your soul when you trust God, but you actually see him as a means, as a way of getting the thing that you truly desire. And it is critical that you know that that's what's actually going on in your heart so that you can repent and plead with God to change that about you. It's incredibly loving that God would expose that to you so that you can pray against that, so that you can talk to your brothers and sisters in the faith and ask them to do war with you and pray for you to the end of you actually desiring God more than you desire his gifts. 
And if we're going to repent as we should, we need to remember that he is a good provider. Because that's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us to forget that we can trust him to be our provider. We can trust that his provision is enough for us. And that's what God reveals to them and continues to remind them of. Let's look at verse 32 again. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And jump down to verse 35. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years, 40 years, till they came to a habitable land. They ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. 40 years in an uninhabitable land, he fed them in that way. Bread from heaven on the ground, meat on the ground, just enough for today. This is how he fed them, which leads us to our third observation for the day. God repeatedly reminded them that he was their good provider. He repeatedly reminded them that he was their good provider. He told, he told them to keep some of the manna. He, this is how he reminded them. Remember, he told them to keep some of the manna until later. Keep it so the generations after you can see that I am faithful to provide for you. Some of the bread from heaven to show the other generations that God is a provider. He wanted to make sure that there was a real and lasting reminder for the generations that he was their provider. He also did this by feeding them in this way for 40 years. This is a 40-year reminder that God is a good provider for his people. Morning after morning, they woke up and there's bread that has come down from heaven that is enough to sustain them, to give them strength, to be exactly and live exactly as they were called to live. Throughout this whole process, he is showing them that they can depend on him and rely on him as their good provider. They can remember that he will provide enough for them today to live through today as he has called them to, to live for his glory. And they're reminded that tomorrow they can trust God to do the same thing. That they can trust him to continue to provide their needs for that day. And the good news for us is that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't just send bread from heaven for his people in the wilderness. He did it for us as well. We're going to look at John chapter 6 in just a moment. We'll start at verse 31. And y'all knew I was going to talk about Jesus at some point. Here's the context. Jesus just fed a crowd of 5,000 people. 5,000 men, excuse me, plus women and children by breaking five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus leaves that area and goes across the Sea of Capernaum, also called the Sea of Galilee. And the people find that Jesus has gone, has, has actually he walked on the water, then got in a boat. So they walk around the sea, find where Jesus is, and they're in search for another miracle, right? They just saw Jesus work this crazy miracle. He fed a multitude of people. And now they come back saying, Jesus, show us another sign. If we're really going to believe you, show us another sign, right? They're, they're hoping that Jesus will give them another free meal that day. Let's pick up with where they are in verse 31, John chapter 6. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is what they're saying to Jesus. Verse 32, then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he 
The true bread of God, the true bread of life is a person. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread that you're talking about. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, who had just fed this multitude of people by taking these loaves of bread and this fish and breaking it, and it was enough to feed the 5,000 men plus women and children, likely over 15,000 people were present that day that he fed with that miracle, and it was enough for them. Everyone ate to their, their fill, and it was enough for them. The next day, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus says, hey, actually, I'm the bread of life. That miracle that you come searching for more food, you need to be searching for me. You're looking for something temporary that will sustain you in this life. I'm telling you more than that. You need to be looking for me that will sustain your soul, your heart, your spirit, your mind, your entire being for all of eternity. I am the bread of life. Those who eat of me will never go hungry again, and those who seek me will never be thirsty. He's saying that the manna of Exodus chapter 16 is just a shadow of him. It's just a little, bit of, a little bit of a picture of who he actually is. That, that, that picture in Exodus chapter 16 of God's provision is just a foreshadowing of God's ultimate provision that he's going to provide for his people through his son, Jesus Christ. It shows that he is the bread that comes down from heaven to strengthen and give life to the people of God. He is the provision of God that meets the needs of the people of God. He is the lasting and good reminder to all the generations that God is our good provider. He is the reason that we can trust God today and that we can trust him tomorrow, that he will continue to give us what we need to sustain and strengthen us. It shows that he is enough for us, that he is the solution to our destructive tendency between choosing the gift and the giver because the amazing thing about Jesus is we no longer have to make a decision. Do we desire more the gift or the giver? Because if you actually know who Jesus is, you know that he's the gift and the giver. You know that he is the ultimate gift. If you actually know the joy of seeking God and worshiping him and following him and knowing him and being united with him and the joy that that is, you know that, you, that he is actually the gift and the giver of the gift. He is greater than any earthly gain, and those that come to him will no longer be thirsty or hungry. He is the gift and the giver. He is the provision and the provider. He's both. And he came down from heaven full of love and grace and righteousness and mercy and power and justice and kindness and forgiveness, and he sacrificed his life on the cross so that we could be saved from sin. And then just like every morning in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 16, the people of God, the Israelites, they went outside and found all that evidence, all the, the bread that they saw on the ground that morning. They saw evidence on, in the morning that he was their good provider when they went outside and saw all that bread laying on the ground. And there were some other descendants of Israel, some other Israelites, hundreds of years later that also went outside early one morning. The women, the women that Sunday morning didn't just look on the ground, but instead they looked in the tomb. And they didn't find bread, but they also didn't find the body of Jesus because our Savior, who is our provider, once again showed that he is the one that we can trust because he did not stay dead, but instead he was raised from the grave. And that's what these women found this morning, and that, that Easter morning. And my prayer for us is that every morning when we wake up, 
that we will remember that our God is our provider today. That tomorrow when you wake up, you remember that God is your provider tomorrow, that day, every day. Today, God is our provider. Every morning, we move into our day with trust that God has everything that we need, that he is our good provider, that his provision is enough. Our resurrected Lord is enough for you. You may not ever have the success. You may not ever have the relationship. You may not ever have the possessions that you desire so much in this life. And that, even though it's a painful reality, is one that we can continue to overcome and continue to press on in spite of it because we have our Lord and our Savior, our God. And we must remember that he is enough. Let us bring our discontent and our grumbling hearts to Jesus and keep our eyes stayed on him, that we might find peace and contentment as we trust in him, our good provider. Family, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your revelation. Thank you for reminding us, just as you reminded your children, or the children of Israel, I should say, in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, that you are our provider. Would you cause that to stick in our minds and stick in our hearts? Not only that you are our provider, but would you help us to believe, Father, in moments of doubt that you are a good provider, that we can trust your provision even when it's not everything that we expected or desired it to be. Will you help us to remember that we can trust you more than we can trust ourselves? Will you help us to remember that you love us, that your provision is good, that we can trust it even when we don't understand it, even when we don't like it, God, that we can trust it? Will you keep these things in the forefront of our minds and in the depths of our hearts, that you are our provider? And I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.